got a question here from Raul Jr. from Camp Rhino in 2001. It was in southern Afghanistan right after 9-11. Raul, when you and I were out there and you asked uh, about a cold night in Afghanistan when I was walking the perimeter by myself, uh, greeting a bunch of young Marines, and what was I thinking about? Well, I think I remember the night in question. Uh, if you'll recall, the mortars were firing in one direction and we had a lot of shooting going on at one side of the perimeter. And the reason they keep some of us gray-haired guys around is because it's not our first war, not our second war. And what I was doing was walking to the opposite side of the perimeter, just suspicious that the enemy was perhaps fainting on one side and they were actually going to attack over on your side of the perimeter. So I was over there knowing full well that the Marines at the position that we were being attacked would handle the enemy. I wanted to make certain we were ready for any surprises. So I was over there just uh, checking on the Marines, seeing how they're doing, and all of them wanted to get over to the other side of the perimeter and get in the fight. And I said, oh, you boys just stay right here. There'll be plenty of fighting before this is done. So that's what I was thinking about that night, Joel. And thanks for being out there. It was a cold night. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. This week, I am joined by my good friend, Chantel Taylor. Chantel, what's up? Hey, how's it going, John? Good, very good. So we, we had an interesting conversation with uh, a gentleman who is of Iraqi origins. Uh, he served with the U.S. military in Iraq during the highly Iraq war, and now he's over here in the States. Um Interesting guy, kind of interesting background, and obviously unique experiences working with uh, the SEAL teams in Iraq, you know, during some of the worst times there. And uh, it was fun. And it's, he has an interesting perspective, not just on, um, you know, America, but, you know, how things are, are going overseas and that sort of thing. Yeah, I thought it was really, and it was really interesting his way of, um, because I suppose for anyone leaving their country and going to another country, their experiences are very different. So you have him on the one hand and, you know, very nice guy who um, he's grown up um, always watching things that were very much American, whether it be Westerns, Western films or or playing basketball, his love of basketball. And then you can also have people that are quite um, sheltered from that stuff. So. I, you know, we spoke about this before, John, where it's um, in the UK, we're quite successful at um, other cultures coming in and still maintaining the, the sort of traditions that they hold dear, but fitting into our society, if that makes sense. So, right. you know, it's not a case of coming over and then all of a sudden they've got to start cutting around with um, the George Cross tattooed on them because <laughs> that doesn't always work. For me. And that's fine. You know, it's, it's almost like respect the culture that you're going into and, and potentially add add a colorful kind of side of your own culture, which is, and I think that that works. Right. And, and but if you, if you, if you, if it's extreme, it doesn't work. Right. And, and I think that's what makes, you know, countries that, ex that work that way. Great. You know, like in, in, in America, 
in certain parts of the country, you can go, you know, from one neighborhood to the next and it's different kind of ethnic backgrounds who like are kind of the majority in that neighborhood, especially uh, here in New York City. And um, yeah. I think it's awesome to see the kind of melting pot of cultures. But at the same time, you know, I one point that he made was that, you know, if you're going to come to this country or, or to any other country, you should kind of conform to their way of life. In, in a way, you know, I don't think you should completely, um, you know, abandon your, your culture and customs and that kind of thing. But, you know, uh, I think yeah, and, and that quality is what makes it a, a great place to live, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, and also, I suppose that what, like thinking about conforming, so long as you conform to the law, you know, that's, that's a big thing is, right. that, is that you respect the, the rule of law in, the, in whichever country that you're in. It's, it's for instance, if I ever have to tra travel anywhere in the Middle East where laws are, are very much more conservative, I respect that. You know, I'm not going right. to go running around thinking, hey, because, and, and it'd be like a, a typical Brit tourist where it's all my rules because that's, I'm respecting that they, I don't necessarily have to agree with any of it, but I respect, okay, that's the way it is here, end of story. But then I also then expect when someone travels to my country to respect my the rule of law that that's set down by my, um, you know, the judges and the, the government and, and so on and so forth. And that that's the way it should work. Right. You know, I'm a great believer in that. Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and coming from Iraq, Iraq has historically been like a, a kind of a, a melting pot of cultures as well with different uh, ethnic groups living there for so long. And I mean, th there was a point where Iraq was, you know, home to large Christian communities, home to large Jewish communities, home to large Muslim communities. And then o over time, I guess it became majority Muslim. But, um, you know, that's just another place where, and even throughout the, the historic conflicts that exist there, like local conflicts, it's been drawn by different religious sects and uh, different uh, ethnic, ethnic groups and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and the interesting thing about Iraq is that, you know, many, um, aside of all the extremely historical stuff that, you know, you can you can read in many history books, but back in sort of 1975 and, and years, I know that year because it's in my year of birth, <laughs> that, yeah, wow, I've, that, that says I've, I've sort of put myself out there then. Um, with that but um it was a real hub of culture you know really arty really and I, I, no one like, i'm not going to use the word liberal because it almost feels like if you use that word now it's it's just it's got a whole new meaning right but it was a really a place that was really open and they were massive on education massive on arts and cultures and it was very much a that sort of cafe type city, you know, where people were just doing their little thing. And it was, right. you know, it was, it was almost like, um, I think, I do believe that, I don't, I don't want to quote anybody, but the, the rulers of Dubai at the time, or the UAE, were modeling that area on Baghdad because it was that far forward. Right. And if you ever go to both countries, if you've been to in, into the city of Baghdad and then you go to, say, Dubai, the sunken highways are exactly the same. So you can see a side of... The, the lack of bombs in Dubai is that you can see that where they've they've kind of mirrored um, their their infrastructure on on Baghdad because that's how they wanted it to be that was the vision and it's it's such a, it's a shame really isn't it that they've that Baghdad's been chosen as a the sort of the platform of proxy war because that's what it is essentially right and it's a place that they can they've they've got these people in this melting pot of people this melting pot of factions. 
and now essentially fighting each other, which is yeah, it's pretty. It's a sad um, state of affairs for somewhere so so um, historically um, important, really. Yeah, it, it is, and um, you know, especially what's happening now with uh, you know ISIS and uh, the Iranians working on one side, coalition forces yeah. working on another side. The Iraqi government really has their loyalty to Iran. You know, it's just it's it's a crazy situation and. I've been doing a lot of reading about ISIS and and their history, and what's interesting is that uh, the the Syrian government, Assad, President Assad, who's backed by the Russians and the Iranians, he, they were saying that at a at a point they could have really, if they wanted to, defeated ISIS, and a majority of of Russian airstrikes and and uh, Syrian government airstrikes were not directed at ISIS but at other groups, and they kind of let ISIS. Uh, remain there so they could kind of cause chaos and, and throw everything off. So it's it's kind of interesting how uh, there's so many different interests in the region and, and that's how things play out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to even sort of go down the roads of um, where we see these sort of battlefields as, as places where they're just testing kind of weapons. But that, it sometimes feels like that where it's, sort of, so it's all about weapon development and you know, because war does create um, profit, you know, then that's a fact. That's not um, something right. that needs to be, be sort of researched too heavily. But it, it is it does. It is concerning, isn't it, that you have these. Um, because ISIS aren't some sort of they're not some sort of, um, you know, black art warriors and, you know, these awesome fighters. I think I think there's an opportunity to potentially. um it's more of an ideology than an actual armed force, if that makes right. sense. Right, and 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 one of the the concerns is that after they get after they're defeated in Iraq and they're it's close to that, then they're going to get defeated in Syria eventually. And the question becomes, what happens to the jihad, the global jihadi movement as a whole? You know. See, I and that's why that's why I think that actually the the danger is is that you what will happen is any. Any disgruntled sort of civilian of any country anywhere will uh, essentially do something in the name of a cause that they really have no affiliation to, because that's what happens. It's almost like right, I'm having a shit shit week at school. I've you know, and this doesn't just generally happen overnight. This will be someone who's been reading, and it, then it, it kind of builds up, and and they'll do something potentially in the name of of a, a cause they don't even really understand. Yeah, and it's, and and for us sat at home, that that's the danger to us because right. as as sad as it sounds, ISIS fighting in Iraq is is no potential danger to me where I'm sitting. However, the ripple effect of what's happening there, you know, slowly but surely makes its way to the, the to our own shores, and we already know it's already here in different sort of um, in different groups and different guises. But it's, it's just um, a matter of um, it's a it's a big workload for all of our security services, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting because there are a lot of uh, foreign recruits and foreign fighters who are filtering into Syria and Iraq in support of ISIS, and a large number of them end up going returning home, uh, realizing that it wasn't what they thought it would be. And it is, uh, you know, essentially it's a very ultra-conservative form of uh, Islam. What do you mean, John? Is it not? Does it not do what it says on the brochure? Is yeah. that not the... <laughs> Was it not cutting heads off? Yeah, it's interesting. What do you What do you mean? 
Yeah, it's weird because people, like, you know, they'll go there and then they would turn home. Like, yeah, it wasn't what I thought. But it's like you didn't see the YouTube videos, you know, like. Yeah. And um, so, I know it's so just it's romanticized. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, it's kind of like yeah. a romance thing, you know, and um. Well, especially for women, and I say that as a woman, is that there's nothing, there's nothing attractive to me about going out and being some sort of slave. That's not romantic. Yeah, and I don't, and, I don't, I don't and I guarantee when these these women arrive there, there's no there's no romance on hand. No, yeah, there's no, no kind of. Uh, it's a strange. I don't, yeah, it's really hard to, to even wonder where people's heads at. Yeah, for sure. When they when they're even thinking about that, because it's just for for all the bad days that you could have in in your nice little suburb or wherever you're living you'll never you'll never amount to one fucking bad day there and that's people need a little bit of a wake-up call don't they yeah exactly or just a, maybe even just a reality check it's like but the, you don't want your reality check to be at the hands of a group of isis fighters you don't think oh i think i've made a mistake when you're already there that's probably not the time right right and um and and like i said there's no way that they could stand up to you know, certain government forces that are committed to defeating them. It's just not going to happen. And No, it's not. And, and it's, just, it's like, like we said before, it is the ideology and it's, it's about kind of, it's a really, the way, the way things are at the moment, obviously with, um, with the election or, you know, with Trump and, and all these things that are going on and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, you know, the times are quite uncertain yeah. and it's sometime, you know, having, serves as a soldier the most certain time that you'll ever have is when you're actually on the battlefield because you've got a definitive enemy right but when you're actually at home watching the protests unfold the you know the 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 far right movement coming out and and they're sort of jumping on bandwagons and then you've got the far left and it's almost like people are are so confused where they are right now you've got the far left of or almost to the right do you see what I'm saying? And, and all of a sudden, the far right are almost feeling quite liberal. It's, it's such a strange, yeah. a strange place at the moment, isn't it? With the way, um, I don't know. I just think I'm I'm really comfortable with people being able to protest and and be able to go out and give their opinions on things. But when it gets to a point where you don't accept someone else's opinion or you don't even want to listen you know it's almost like it's null and void in your head that someone else could possibly have something different to say other than you i think we're getting into a really a really weird place in the world at the moment yeah and and it's interesting and you know we'll see how things play out you know so yeah and even even for trump you know and i I don't even mind saying i wasn't a huge fan of his i've I've never really watched any of his reality shows and i thought all right it's, it's happened it's not it's not ideal in my sort of head but you know, I, I've watched him like over the past um, few weeks, even, and you're, I almost get to a point where I feel quite sorry. Where I think, well, hang on, he—I don't think he's a—you know—he's not a bad soul. He's not a sort of person. He's not some sort of demon. But the way that he's been allowed to just free fucking fall into the stuff he's free falling into—that concerns me too. You know, it's because I, I feel like it's not just him. You know, a government's not just made up of one person. He will have right. advisors. And I right. almost I almost want to say to them, you know, not get a grip of him. I don't mean it in that way, because I think his I think his um 
his thoughts are kind of he's not trying to do bad by his own country that's that he he doesn't i don't see that in him but he's been really poorly advised yeah and i think that's where the the issue is yeah. for me like i think as far as national security he has a very solid team yeah. but um i think the issue is uh some of his political advisors having power in, in areas of national security. Yeah. And, and how, that's concerning. How, yeah. And how certain policies should be running. I don't think, and it's kind of, it's unprecedented because I, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it's ever been that way. Uh, well, and even for like, for, for George Bush, you know, I really like George Bush, you know, and I'd served in the military when he was um, the, the president, but he hasn't spoken much since he left. And for him to come out, and to start, you know, it's, it's it is quite like you're you're right about it being unprecedented. It's yeah. kind of, and I, I actually I get to a point where I feel sorry for Trump, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful fashion. I just think I feel like he's being fucking hung out to dry, and I, I I I couldn't even tell you what why. It just feels like that's that's the way it's kind of. Yeah, well, the the media like now you know everything he does kind of they jump on it whether yeah. it's, it's uh, warranted or not. And and that kind of uh, waters. I feel down like I the, I, uh, I want to man his Twitter account, John. Yeah. That's how I feel. I don't. I want. Yeah, send the password. We got it. Get your fingers away from. <laughs> and even that girl, I, I, don't, I don't even know her name. That's how significant it is. The lady who, um, I don't, I don't know if she's his press advisor. What's her name? The the lady who the one uh, who ran his campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get her. I don't. She to me doesn't seem. I don't think she should be in that job. Yeah, I mean, she's just like going on TV making shit up, you know. It's not yeah, it's, it's all kind of random, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't help his cause. And you know, behind that, behind him, you know, he, there is a there is a brain. I just don't understand. He's just being allowed to just go on, and I don't think it's very fair, especially at that level. It's not. Yeah, well, you it's know, not doing any any any, any favors, is it? Right, and and maybe you know as time goes on, because it's still very early in his presidency. Maybe yeah. he'll, he'll kind of figure things out a little bit and say, you know what? I hope so, because right. he's a good. He seems he's a decent guy. I don't think that all of this stuff about making him into a monster. I don't think that's true. No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think he, you know he's he not intends a fucking, to, you know do a good job. Yeah, you know, so. his intentions are good, and and you know what? That's that goes a long way with with lots of people. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so so before we we play the interview and conversation that we had with uh, Johnny Walker, I just want to talk about uh, my friends over at the Global Surgical Medical Support Group, the GSMSG. Uh, we've had the president of the organization on the podcast and and one of their uh, medics on as well. And basically, what they do is they they are in Iraq. And they are providing top tier medical care, whether that's surgery or training the uh, Peshmerga medics and and uh, that kind of thing, and in tactical medicine and and that sort of thing. And uh, they do a really good job. Everything is uh, privately funded, and and they're, they're really out there helping people and saving lives. And there was an event that uh, took place recently, and I would like to share it with you guys. And uh, so, so here it is. So, you, you've heard of this group, you know. I just spoke about them. They support and work very closely with U.S. and coalition forces. And what happened recently is a first for non-government organization, non-profit uh, organization 
We know now that uh, critically injured U.S. personnel on an intelligence collection deployment in Iraq would not have would not have survived if it wasn't for the swift intervention of the GSMSG trauma surgeons. They were able to stop otherwise lethal hemorrhaging and severe injuries by providing role four level care right at the tip of the spear. They were able to return the less critically injured U.S. personnel to service right after the medically after medically clearing them in the field, the nearest equivalent, equivalently trained trauma and orthopedic surgeons for the U.S. military would have been hours or days away uh, at a place like Walter Reed. However, thanks to their extremely far forward operating surgical teams, they were able to provide advanced surgical care downrange literally minutes from where the injuries occurred. This is probably the first time in U.S. history that a a U.S.-based nonprofit humanitarian organization provided life-saving surgery in an austere environment that saved the lives of U.S. service members and personnel. So I know a lot of the audience would be interested in in helping out with, uh, you know, our servicemen and women downrange. And the, the GSMSG is uh, potentially a good place to start if, if you're interested Um and even even if you're active duty, you can also contribute. So if you have an active member of the military or a federal employee, you can tell your boss or your commander that you want your unit or office to direct your combined federal campaign donation later this year to the Global Surgical Medical Support Group. Uh, their CFC number is 68628. Um, we'll, we'll post some of that in the podcast notes on the website so you can check it out and we'll have a few posts for this on social media uh, to talk just about this. And um, you can also check out their website at gsmsg.org. Uh, they have a shop and they sell uh, t-shirts and patches and stuff like that. If you enter the promo code IG Recon, you will get 20% off your order. And like I said, this is going to a group that is at, you know, very far forward and literally at the tip of the spear and they're providing life-saving, um, medical services to U.S. personnel and, and people that are fighting ISIS. So it's an incredible cause and they really, uh, do great work. So like I said, check them out. Um, you know, we've had them on a podcast before. You can just scroll down and you'll see it in the episodes list. Um, so with that being said, now I'll play the conversation that, me and Chantal had with Johnny Walker. And just quickly, John. Yeah, sure. Um, just quickly with, with that group is that they basically, you know, they're, they're what's known as expeditionary medicine. So if they, you know, we, most of the people working in that trauma center will be either ex-military or, you know, at the very tip of the spear in trauma in their own country. And us, you know, military type personnel can learn from that because what they do is they move you know, when we move um, military medical installations, it takes quite a lot of um, logistics. Now, what they do is they, you know, they they basically do it at the, the sort of bare minimum. They don't have all the sort of bells and whistles that we do. So they're extremely important in the in today's battlefield because what happens is things are moving that quickly. Is that if if we don't actually have um, a full complement of military on the ground, we'll start to rely on groups like this. Right. And they're, you know, it's extremely important that we support them. And, uh, you know, at some point it'd be, f- for me personally, you know, I obviously would go and support these guys. But what I'm saying is, is that they they are very much become going to start becoming part of the battlefield because the battlefield is ever changing and it change, changes extremely quickly. So, 
it's almost not to see them as they are an NGO. They're they're a non-government organisation. However, they're extremely important to what's um, what we face. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So get on board. Hey, what's going on, guys? We have a special guest on for this week's podcast. Uh, on with me, co-hosting is Chantel Taylor. Chantel, what's up? Hey, John. And our special guest for this week's podcast is Johnny Walker. And Johnny has an, a very interesting background. He's uh, from Iraq, and he has worked with uh, U.S. Special Operations troops uh, for a number of years uh, during the height of the Iraq War. Johnny, what's up, brother? Not a boss. I'm all living my dream. Thanks for this opportunity. No worries, man. Thank you for coming on. So, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, can we talk? Can we start with your background and, and if you can tell the story of how you kind of hooked up with uh, Naval Special Warfare? So, just give you a quick background about how I involved working with American forces. So, I am tall guy, like almost six four, and six four in Iraq. This is like something like different, strange, you know? So without I'm having any option, my family sent me to play basketball because I have a lot of trouble with the neighborhood by using a slingshot, all this kind of crappy thing. So anyway, I went and I started to play bas- basketball. I love it. And as you guys know, if you play basketball, you have to watch Harlem team. You have to watch <laughs> Cowboys. You have to listen to country music. So it was a small dream. Became like from that time to live in the United States and in a small mountain, hunting, all these kind of things. So it looked like I have the foundation to work with American forces. And that's why when they come, I did my best. I try like seven, six times hooked up with American forces and unfortunately I, I couldn't have that chance and where are you from uh, originally in Iraq Mosul north of Baghdad 400 clicks okay and that's where the, the big fight is going on right now actually uh, with ISIS correct correct this is where ISIS now like breathe the last breath and should be done within a few months from now hopefully Right, right. Okay, and so- that's that's in, that's interesting, Johnny. That you, um, you know, from such a young age, because a lot of our, you know, a lot of sort of what um, we grow up around, you know, that influences what we end up doing in sort of adult life. And and the fact that you've gone from you know just being a fan of basketball and then obviously playing, and that you find <laughs> yourself now in the states, that's pretty. Uh, but the way that you got there is is slightly different to to normal kids, isn't it? Oh yeah, and for <laughs> me, for me it's like when I saw the American forces came to my city, most of us look like, oh my gosh, you know, because we don't have like this kind of gear, or the mobility or the gun. So when I saw them, it looked like those people American, or they came from the moon, from the space. <laughs> so it's kind of big deal to me. Like I swear to God, like I just want to talk with them. Sometimes I walk, me and. Fatima, like, 
I don't know how many clicks, just to go to the American base, small American base, sit with the officer and talk with him, chit chat with him. And how, so, how old were you at that point? Uh, 40. Wow. Yeah. Still young. No big deal. Yeah, they're still young. 40 is young. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you ended up, you, obviously at some point, you ended up uh, working with American forces. Um, and specifically, you ended up working with Naval Special Warfare, which is primarily uh, the Navy SEAL teams. And obviously, during those years, uh, from 2003 to 2009, Iraq was a very kinetic place. Towards 2009, I guess it was starting to calm down a bit. Um, so how, was there a process for you to kind of, you know, like be vetted in a way? Or did you have to undergo any training to be able to go out on operation with the SEAL teams? So at the beginning, I worked with military police for kind of six months. And we did a lot of crazy, amazing things in Mosul. And everyone he heard about my name on the base. So by one of the days, one of the sergeants, his name is Sergeant East, he went, he, he had chit-chat with one of the Navy SEAL, and they asked him they need turf to help them, local turf. And he recommended my name. And I still remember I went for the screening with retired senior uh, master chief, his name, JT. He asked me, uh, he screened me and he asked me a few questions and my English at that time, barely I can understand myself. Uh, and I told him, am I going to get the job or not? So he <laughs> says, indeed. So I'm so embarrassing to ask him, what does indeed mean? So I head back from SEALs base inside the airport to the military police base and all the guys, all the military police, they just like stand by waiting me and, hey, tell us how it goes. I told him, indeed. <laughs> and everyone, he's laughing and I figure out, indeed, this means I get the job. So <laughs> That's awesome. And where, and where did you, um, like, just taking it back, where did you learn English? Where did you start to learn English? Was it from films or, you no, know, was actually, it a school? Actually, the school, since, like, fifth grade, yeah. they start teaching English as one of the main classes on the school. And, and I don't know, for some reason, basic English, and, you know, they couldn't develop year after year. And for me, I don't know, I'm kind of, good with English. I don't know why I'm not good with math. I'm so stupid. But with English, I I feel I like it. And the basketball, when I play and watch the country, watch the cowboy movie, listen to country music, develop my language. And this is what I feel until I work with American forces. And I found I have no no language because it's a wholly different accent. I cannot yes, say water. If I say water, they look at to me, it looks like I'm a freak. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like shaking to me, you know. It's not the English I know. Yeah, because you, and that, that's the thing. I'd spent, um, I've, you know, done quite a lot of missions into the university in Baghdad, and I noticed, you know, a lot of them, they speak 
British English, which is the same as yeah. the, what I speak. And then even, you know, when I've worked with Americans, a lot of my American friends, we have, you know, standing jokes about um, the pronunciation of words. And, and I can sometimes be in a conversation with Americans and then I'll start using their words. So I, I would say process and they say process. And then all of a sudden I start saying, and I'm like, what? Where are, <laughs> you know, what's good? But it's just, it's almost like you just pick up, yeah, you know, how someone else talks. Yeah. And it, it is, it's slang too, you know, you, especially in yep. the military, because the military, you then take I, someone like you, and, and we've got a whole new language to learn. I think the American slang is the red, redneck of the English. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. No, it's funny. And it's funny to see, um, I always think, you know, especially now they have do you want it in um, British English or US English? And I, I've, it's quite comical, isn't it? Because I just thought there was just one, you know, English language. But it's um, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, language is language. And good yeah. to have language in your hand, you know. And your English is definitely um, is better than my um, Arabic. Uh, I, don't I have know. a this few is, phrases. <laughs> I, will, I will go with this as a compliment. Yeah, I don't know about my my language is that good or not. No, well, I can I can try I can transfer my idea, but just guys be patient with me. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, how was when you first um, started working with the seals? You know, how did you? Um, I know this may sound a bit deep, but obviously, having with the two thousand and three invasion, how how did you feel when that first happened? Were you were you pleased or were you, you know, because war's not pretty, regardless of what's, where it is and why, why it's happening. How, did so, you, how were you and your family? So in 2003, if anyone worked with Americans, that's a big deal. Like, bigger proud to the family, bigger proud to himself. And there's good money, too. So, yeah. And at that time, in 2003, there is no... IDs, there's no car bombs, there's no anti-sniper. So it's basically, it's peaceful. And when I work with the, the military police, we didn't have any terrorist activity. We no, just the, like... The insurgency yeah. didn't start till later, did it? Yeah. And we just like chasing like uh, Kang members, corrupt, uh, this kind of things, you know. But yeah. when I moved with the SEALs, and I still remember the first time, my English is so fucked up. We went to the brief, and, you know, they they keep talking about everything. They cover everything. I couldn't catch anything except the jackpot name because it's in, in Arabic. And I read it, and I, I know the jackpot name. That's only things I understand perfectly. So anyway, we went to the mission, and there is one guy, he guided me, like he almost grabbed me from my shoulder, stop, left, right, walk. And we walk in and we stopped. And I saw one guy, he went to the gate of the house and he put some stuff. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on? That's weird. I have no idea. And it's look like, I think I involved with something I shouldn't be on it. I look like stupid. And this is like, I'm just thinking with myself in a few seconds. And I hear like, boom, holy cow. When I had the explosive, you know, they want to breach the door, the gate. I thought we are under attack. So only response I did, I just run away. <laughs> and the guy who's responsible <laughs> about me, 
he just like run after me and, hey, stop, stop. There is nothing. Hey, you have to stop. So anyway, I stopped and he, and he tried to explain to me. So anyway, so from that, day, we went to the house. We find the jackpot. We went to the base and we started to the that guy. And he started telling us information. And I still remember like the term who translate to the interrogator is so dummy. Like if, if the interrogator, he started yelling or, you know, he's upset, the term he translated with soft way. So it looked like they cannot get nothing from this guy. So anyway, I told the interrogator, I told him, hey, let me handle it, buddy. So I try, like, became more involved with interrogation things. And they tell us, he tell us, the jackpot, he tell us about a lot of information. I just opened my mouth. It looks like, holy shit. All this shit happened in my city, and I have no idea. Yeah. So after, like, two few days, we went to the house, an amazing, uh, uh, perfect neighborhood. It's not poor neighborhood. It's a rich neighborhood. And we went inside the house, and we found, like, a lot of, mortars, a lot of RBG, a lot of uh, C4, everything, name it. And it looked like in that time, everything changed in my mindset. So at the beginning, like I told you, I work for, I, I love to work for Americans because it's part of my dream and also it's good money, easy money. Yeah, for and sure. there is no warrior things, there is no country, there's nothing because it's peaceful. But when I saw the SEALs, they did all this kind of risk and they came from all the way from United States to Iraq. It looked like I feel kind of shameful. Like, this is my city. I should be the one who clean it, not those people. So from that second, from that moment, my mindset started changed because I'm about to leave the SEALs because it's so complicated to me to understand them. A new style, breach, all these kind of things, like uh, the type of cars they use, type of clothes, the ear, ear cover they use. Everything is, is different. So it looks like this is too much to me. I'm not going to leave it. But when I saw, when we found a lot of uh, bad guys and a lot of IDs, I was like, no, I should do my best helping those people to clean my city. And from there, we start like, good partner teamwork. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, it, and obviously during those early stages, no, I don't think anyone really understood how bad things would get because I remember, you know, everyone thought, right, okay, um, we've kind of liberated Iraq now and, and people were going, I remember me as a soldier, we were put into sort of soft, our berets as opposed to helmets. And then what I think, what was it? The, um, the uprising was in, was that 2004? Yeah. And then it just, I mean, it just really, and this isn't just for soldiers, this is for the, for the entire country. It just really went to shit, didn't it? You know, it was everyone kind of, um, there was no discrimination as to who was, who was getting attacked. And it, I think it, 
I, th- I don't think anyone really expected it to get as bad as it did. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, I, I still remember they call my city the white chick, the white chicken. The white chicken. Because, because we never attack, we never do anything to the American forces inside the city. So all the other cities, they make fun of us. You guys are white chicken, this and that. Yeah. Uh, and well, this is like 2003. A lot of people, they, they thought it's safe. Most <clears throat> because I'm working with the seal, I found uh, different pictures. Look like underground world. This look like zombie wo- zombie world. No one know about it. Only the Navy seal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then even like uh, more so with guys like yourself. I, I don't know if you you would have known this from the guys that you'd worked with, but when when you're in um say for me you know traveling somewhere whether it be iraq or afghanistan wherever i've been you'll always get um your local friends and it, it almost becomes like they're part of your family too like you know you're all in it together whether because i was a combat medic so if i'd always be sat with an interpreter i'd always have an interpreter really close to hand and then they became very much part of the team so yeah. and, and and you all and this is this isn't i wouldn't say this lightly but you know, Iraq's not my country, but I, I still had an emotional attachment to it. You know, there was always, it wasn't a case of, oh, that this is just me. You know, I'd spent nearly five years of my life in Iraq. So yeah. you, you learn the customs, you learn people and, and how yeah. families work, you know, and that kind of, that emotional attachment, it's not just cut off when you go home. Yeah, I often so, used to think of people, I still have friends now, you know. Yeah, and sometimes you don't need to be, this is your country to do the, <clears throat> to do the right things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, like if I meet you and and somewhere, and you, England need my help, I'm not gonna think, oh, this is like foreign country or this and that. No, your enemy is gonna be my enemy because terrorist savages, they are against everything, raise a human being to the civilized level. And like yeah, I definitely. told you, like I told you at the beginning, I'm thanks for your service, and trust me, you pay the right price for the right case. And, and and like you say, there's not, you know, they are when you see terrorist groups, it's not about that they they don't discriminate about who they're attacking, and yeah, I often, no. you know, even towards the end of my time in Baghdad, the you know, the intelligence videos that we were seeing on um, guys, the way that they were treating people when they were going into checkpoints and just basically gunning down Iraqi sort of military or police, it was it was disgusting. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, 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 I couldn't even, you know, I got <clears> to a point where those videos, you'd, you'd look at them and I thought, I, I can't watch anymore. You know, I, I saw that. Yeah. They just treat, they were treating people as if they were animals, you know, and I just, it was like, what, where <laughs> is know, this? One, one time they want to kill me. And they follow me and I kill them. It's funny things like um, I went to the base and I met one of the officers, his name is Steve Hilly. He's retired, that's why I mentioned his name. So anyway, he uh, says, Johnny, I want to talk with you. I told him, oh, okay, what's up? He says, oh man, you have to be careful. This is in 2004. I told him, why, what's up? He says, there is terrible. His name, blah, 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 the same name is my name. He says, the terrorists kill him. So I'm, okay, sound good to me. He don't know, so what I did, 
I want to go to the base and I saw one car and this is the first time someone assassinated by, tried to assassinate by Qaeda in my city. I am the first one. So anyway, I left my house. I'm driving my car and I saw a guy with long beard driving the car and a guy within 20 years old, he's the passenger. In our tradition, this is kind of awkward. This is kind of not right because always we respect the religion guy and we never let him drive the car or do anything. We did all this stuff for him. So anyway, yeah. it looked like, you know what? I'm just going to take the worst scenario. Those guys, they are bad guys. And imagine like at that time, there is no killing, nothing. But SEALs teach me, don't trust anyone outside your family, which is SEALs family. And you ha always have backup plan and take the worst scenario. So you will be ready. So I kind of have my plan. Those guys, they, they want to kill me. So anyway, I'm driving my car. I took right. And the plan is push the gas hard I can. So when they try to pass me, I'm going to push the brake suddenly, and they're going to confuse because they did know uh, I know they follow me. So I did the same thing as the plan. They want to pass me, I push the brake, and I saw the guy with pistol, nine millimeters. He shot me. And I'm hiding my head between the two windows. There is middle. Always I cover my head in that middle. So anyway... I stopped completely. I took my AK-47. I have 75 magazine on it. And I start shoot those guys. And I killed the driver. And I went to the other guy. And I killed him. And I start saying, Allah, Akbar, those guys, they work with Americans. They are interpreter. And I threw fucking ID. So anyway, the, the Iraqi police, they came. And they make like small investigation, and they send the report to the headquarters and to the uh, to the American headquarters too. And my name goes through that. There is Iraqi term. His name blah blah blah. I cannot mention my name for security issues. Uh, he being killed, and that's why when the officer he told me to be careful. He don't know. I already killed two guys, and they came. And I'm laughing in his face. <laughs> Wait, so they after you killed these two guys, uh, you, went, you made it seem like they were working for the Americans in order to get out of there, right? Yeah. So all the people, they know, no one can stop me or, hey, you have to go to the police or something. Because at the beginning, kind of people, they got encouraging people to attack Americans right. because they call them traitors. Right. And at that point, was it, were the foreign fighters and foreign groups, did they enter Iraq yet or, or was this? Um... I have no idea. The two guys, I killed them. I think they are foreign fighters. Okay. Because I never hear like on the city there is like, you know, funeral. All right. So I couldn't hear any funeral in my city in Mosul. And, you know, like if you live in a small town, you know everything, and maybe the lady with us, she knows um, about Iraqi tribe tradition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could generally you can pick out um, 
an area that someone's from, and especially if you are if you are um, an Iraqi, that's yeah. that's why people like you are so important because you'll know what we when you know what atmospherics are, but you can judge <coughs> the the mood of people far far better than someone who's foreign that comes into the country. So, you know, the guys that I've worked with have been absolute godsends. They can pick out, I mean, they used to just be able to pick out, I mean, I don't know, um, we used to call them the Jay Sharmadi and things like that. They can pick people out on the street and you wouldn't yep. even know. And you, and then you'd look at them and think, I see what you're saying. But clearly it would have been too late before. So that's why guys that I've worked with, you know, have been an absolute godsend. And you you literally couldn't do the work that you do without them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough time. I didn't like think with myself, I'm gonna be able to kill anyone, you know. But sometimes dirty job, someone should do it. And I'm not record to what I did. And if it's gonna happen again, and I will do it with a smile on my face. <laughs> and the, and the, that's the thing that there's always like. A, because it's it's not just it doesn't just become about you it's about your family you know and if you it's, don't if you don't survive then it's about the, everything the, yeah the ripple effect just and it goes look on at, you know look at the city now yeah and this is my point from the beginning i want to clean my city because i know of those barbarian run the city they will destroy it and this is what happened now it's been destroyed it between ERC strike, when they attack ISS, they destroy the building, right? Yeah. And the building is, no one can build it because our government is so corrupt to do anything. So the innocent Iraqi people or person, he's stuck between corrupt government, militia, ISS. And that's the problem, because and where there's you know where there's a vacuum left, you've got, you often find this in many places, and, it, and it's really difficult to get the the government side right. Is that if if a vacuum's left, someone will fill it, right? You so, know, and, reg- yeah. and that's that seems to be what's that you know, and, and, and ISIS or you know whatever we call them this week, but I mean we call them Daesh, don't we? But they're yeah. you know they're kind of um, people are jumping on that, you know, and people that aren't necessarily. Because there's money, you know, potentially there's money involved, and it's and it all sort of becomes other groups from other countries get involved and fund this one, fund that one, and it just creates what what I feel, you know, quite a lot of annoyance with is that it's all taking place in Iraq, yeah, and it shouldn't be. Well, it's it's interesting because the um kind of the head of the global jihadist movement, you know, with Al Qaeda with Bin Laden and and the um the the Egyptian guy, I forget his name, but they. Oh. Yeah, and and their their whole thing was to, you know, for for Al Qaeda and their affiliates to unify Muslims, uh, you know, and 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 that sort of thing. And then uh, ISIS came along, and their entire thing was to, for them to be on top, regardless of what anyone else thought. And you know, what they they show like the beheadings and and all this violence and this kind of barbaric way of of ruling and governing. And strangely enough, that's what's attracting people to go and, and fight and join their, their group. And uh, it's really kind of a, 
kind of a weird thing that they got going on. Like, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it, it's obviously it's, working, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, small things. Like, this is in general, in public, and you can go from that basic things to any case. So any country run by tribe and religion, this is going to be the right environment for extremists to born and grow up. Like how? Like in, in my city, Mosul, you know, the Iraqi army. At the checkpoint, if you want to pass the checkpoint, you have to pay money. And you cannot do, and they, they uh, had some rich people houses and they took them to the jail and the association with family to release them for 10,000, 20,000, $100,000. So all this that said, this is make the right environment for people complain. So when they complain, who's gonna use advantage from the complaint? The extremists. Right. And they start recruit them and they they start act. This and it seems like it's yeah, it's like an option, isn't it? It's, and and I yeah. noticed from the, the fighters that go from the UK, um, is that they're usually so disillusioned with stuff that's going on in and this could be someone who's in college who's just like you know, going through a weird stage, and then all of a sudden, you yeah. know, people people prey on on people that are in vulnerable positions, and um, like, it's hard it's hard to keep track of them all, isn't it? Yeah, and like I told you, like every every time when the government system, which is I mean the government system, I mean the intelligence, the um, all the ministries, all the Surface department, one goes down and there is no law. This is where the chaos give more opportunity to the extremists to grow up faster. And this is what happened when Obama pulled the troops from Iraq. This is what happened. Who's going to vacuum Iraq? Iran. And yeah, for who, sure. Yeah, who's going to run the cities, Sunni cities, the Qaeda and Daesh, because there is a lot of complaint about the Iraqi army act races against Sunnis, because most of them, they are Shia, this and that. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and then that, that and also right, happened in government, didn't it, when they took out yeah, um, all yeah. the, um, the Sunni sort of representatives. And the, and the thing yeah. is, you can't, regardless of what Saddam was, you can't pencil in, you know, you still have to have a representation of the country, you know, and, yeah, and, and you're right about when you say about Iran, because I noticed a massive difference when I moved from Basra to Baghdad and then went back to Basra several years later, all of a sudden it was like this, what the, f what's happened yep. here? You, know, you yep. literally had babies covered completely. Yep. And I yep. was like this, the, you felt like a real heavy it changed massively, and that was a, obviously as a, um, a direct um, result yeah, of no troops what, on the ground. You know? yeah, there, is, there is one question. Why Qaeda and ISS, they attack America, right? They attack Europe with all the security procedure, right? Yeah. That means they are fucking smart. Why we never hear 
any attack in Iran. Any attack. No matter small or big. Why? Yeah, so it's, it's complex, isn't it? And this has been going on for many years. This isn't just a... Uh, you know, it's, it's come to fruition now. But there's so there's so been because, so much going on from all the neighbouring countries, you know. It's um, yeah, and it's, and then this this has been the chance for it yeah. to actually have a proper battleground. Yeah, it's kind of math. Like Iran support the Shia militia to fight ISIS, right? Mm-hmm. Supposedly, ISIS revenge from Iran, but we never hear. Any car bombs in Iran, we never hear any assassination in Iran. We never hear any attack to an Iranian embassy in Baghdad. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I'm asking this a question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's obviously is there is some kind of dealing or agreement between Iran and ISS. Because look at the, how they changed the chaos in Syria. From protester, people, they try to give the freedom to terrorists. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of, yeah, they, and seeing that, make, you had the, um, the Quds forces make, in. You know, the Quds they, forces that were on the ground. They've been on the ground for a long time. Yeah, and I, I often... The, yeah, they mix the card. Like the right card and the wrong card. And this is how... Let Russia, Russia involve to support the Syrian government. So most of the camp training, training camp, sniper, breach, everything, name it, is in Iran. They train Mujahideen and they train the militia. Right, and the the Iranians they've been doing that for a long time. Um, you know, funding, uh, arming, and training these different groups, and yep. kind of you know, and in their their fight with Israel, they, you know, they they do that against the Israelis, and and then yep. when America first went into Iraq, they immediately uh, they were in southern Iraq. You know, th- there was a, a bunch yeah. of Shia militias, and and they were sending their special forces down there to train and equip them to uh, to fight against Americans. And then the British kind of took over that area of responsibility, and it, the fight mainly became against the British. Yep, yep, and yeah, and I and, still remember like like one of the time we catch one of the big leader. He's Iraqi, and I told him, "Why are you doing that? You should have loyalty to Iraq." He says, "No." My loyalty to uh, Ayatollah. Hmm. So it's mean his loyalty to the religion, not to the countries. Right. Like right now, I'm in the United States. I don't know where you at now. I know you are in the United States, but if United States under under attack, I'm not gonna ask who attacked United States. Is Muslim country or a Christian or whatever? I'm gonna just like volunteer to protect this country you know what i mean right yeah and that's why that's why united states is one of the best place to live because they don't measure your belief they don't measure anything they just measure your loyalty to this country believe what you believe but i want you to protect this country right. shoulder by shoulder with 
different religion. You know what I mean? Yeah, but do you, do you think on it? And I completely get, get what you're saying. But back back in the sort of the region that we're talking about, do you think that maybe sometimes because of the the beliefs, the way that you know culturally, you know culturally, it's very sensitive. So if certain things are done a certain way, like and I talk about the Brits or the Americans, and you know where we've gone in and and potentially not being um, quite as conversant conversant with the culture and things like that that. You know, you can you sort of piss people off to a level, and then that kind of spreads this. It's almost like the stories of the boogeyman, you know, where you kind of. And I noticed this in, especially in Iraq, is that when something's said and it's said by somebody who's quite important, and then that filters down a chain, it it kind of starts a chain of events where it, the story grows into something that's completely yeah, different from where the truth started. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, we have to look at to Iraq after 2003 and IFACTS, which is most of the people who's run, who's make the decision and leave this country, they raise by Iran. Iran took care of them. And Iran trained them. And Iran spent money on them. So when they came, like the Prime Minister Maliki, or yeah. the first Prime Minister Jafari, or Abadi, all of them, they get all the support before 2003 from Iran. So what do you think right now? They can say, fuck you, Iran, we are not going to yeah. do anything for you. No. And one of the reasons, and this is my personal opinion, why Maliki, the prime minister, the old one, he pulled the troops from Mosul, the Iraqi army. He just want to ISS run that city so he can ask the coalition forces to strike it and destroy it and revenge from that city because that city make big damage in Iran-Iraq war. Mm. And look at two Sunni cities, Diyala, Nineveh, Mosul, Tikrit, Romadi. Just Google it on the picture now and look at it. It's, there is nothing. There is like Beji, a small town south of Tikrit. There is nothing. You can't tell this is city or not. It looks like World War Two. You know what I mean? Right. So it looks like an Iranian agenda and our government, they're doing that for them. Right. And and the southern, the uh, the Shia, the more Shia populated areas of Iraq haven't been affected as bad as the Sunni areas. No. Yeah. But same time, same thing, the south of Iraq, which is the Shia, a majority of Shia live there. They don't have, like, prosperity life. They don't have amazing life. They are poor fuck, too. They live, they live in junk houses. You know what I mean? Yeah, Basra has some, um, it has some nice places, but by, by and large, it's, it's quite shanty, yeah. isn't it? Some of the <clears throat> shanty sort of areas. It's quite rough. Yep, yep. Hayaniya is very, very poor areas. Look like you live in... 17th century. And 
funny things. Do you know people of Mosul, how they took shower? No. So, you know, there is, there is no government electricity. So every neighborhood, they have two, three generator. And the people, they pay money for that, that generator. So the generator, the cool system, they make like big, big tank and recycle the water between the, uh, the engine and go to the, uh, to the tank and head back to the engine again. And this is became very hot water. So what they do, the people, they bring jelly cans and they took water from that tank, the hot water, and they take shower because there is no propane. Propane is so expensive and the wood is almost done. There is no wood to uh, to uh, warm the water to uh, to take shower. So imagine how people they take shower. This is like no shit, like sad. You, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, man. The situation that's happening yeah. now, and um, you know, I I think. That, like you said before, that's what these different uh, terrorist groups and these ideo ideological extremists, they feed off of that. Like, they need that instability in order to kind of move in. And it's just kind of interesting, the the contrasting difference between what uh, bin Laden and the, the, the heads of al-Qaeda were kind of preaching and what the, uh, you know, this new global jihadi movement, ISIS is is preaching it's kind of a different style and i, I think at, at one point uh abu musab al-zukari the, the kind of the, he was like the ide ideological founder of isis he pledged his allegiance to bin laden and then um he was killed in 2006 i believe yeah and you know over time the uh the the guys who took over they kind of changed it you know slightly <coughs> And one thing that's kind of interesting is the first head of of ISIS. What they they thought that the end times were near, and and that uh, you know the world was ending, and uh, you know certain battles that had to be fought in certain locations uh, were going to take place. And then uh, the two heads of of ISIS at the time were killed, and then now you have the the current heads, who they've moved away from that kind of apocalyptic thinking. And, yep. But they use that to draw foreign fighters, and 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 a lot of the foreign fighters, are, you know, they truly believe that the end times are happening, and and they wanted to be a part of that, and that's that was like a huge part of their um, uh, their their kind of recruiting strategy, and I think yep. I think one of the um, one of the towns that was supposed to be like one of the scenes of the of the the you know end time battles, I think it's a place called Dabiq. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. The Beak? Yeah, it's like D-I-B-Q or something like that. I don't know. What is it? Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just interesting how, you know, how things are, are yep. done in terms of recruiting and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and keep it in your mind. Today is ISS. After two, three months, eight months, it's going to be another organization, right. extremist organization. Right. Because... Everyone whose thing is to finish terrorist activity by strike them, he's he's stupid. Right. You know what I mean? Just, because you so, have just, to 
you have to dry the resources and the environment. So if you do that, you will you will never have any terrorist organization underneath any different names. Qaeda is gone. ISS came. It's going to be gone anytime soon, 100%. I'm not question about, I, I have no question about that. But I also know for sure it's going to be another organization in different name. And this is, this is, this is take us to, are we fighting just to waste money and life? Or are we fighting to make sense? If we are fighting to make to waste money and life, I think this is stupid. But if we, we can find to make sense, we should fight the Iraqi government. We should fight the Iraqi corrupt. Because how you can uh, protect your family and your family pro- corrupt? You cannot. Right. You know what I mean? How you can uh, run your teenager daughter? Don't go to the club and, and you, you, you don't watch than the club. You know what I mean? Right. So my point is we should clean our house first. And after that, trust me, there is, will be no, no terrorists in Iraq. Like UAE, Kuwait, Saudi, uh, Qatar. All this country, because the people, they live in good amount of finance level, and the government is not corrupt like the, There is corruption on those governments, but not like Iraq. Someone came from selling, like, for $1 things to talk about billion dollars, like Maliki, $65 billion dollars. Right. So, so I th- think the enemy of a human being now, of all the world, is not the extremist. It's the corruption of that government. Like look at the Somalia, corrupt government, and that's where you find terrorists. Right. Look at to Yemen, corrupt government, and this is what you got. Look at to uh, Syria. Look at to Iraq and other other country like Iran and Saudi. They threw the agenda in Iraq so they can make Iran and Saudi pretty much safe. So, yeah. So they they've kind of fought like a a proxy war, and that's the, yeah. you know the the battlegrounds unfortunately been Iraq. So yes, and just um, just sort of fast forwarding like now, obviously you you know you're living in the, in the U.S. How, with the with the current situation of um, the the laws being passed or the different, are you how how are you finding life there? Do, you know, do you get treated different to people? You know, mm. in the in the current climate, does anyone ever look at you? Do you ever have, feel uncomfortable or not? Are you completely happy? No, no. <laughs> I mean, if I have another life, I will wish to born and raise in the United States. So. I love this country. And, That's pretty cool. And people, they are amazing. American people, amazing. Don't get me wrong. There are some racist, some douchebags, some stupid. But majority of the people, 
they appreciate everyone did anything to to this country and that's I love them most of my friends like 95% is American and 5% Iraqis right it's pretty cool yeah and it was interesting I know you you kind of made headlines recently um, with your comments on you know the temporary ban that was enacted by the administration and uh, I, I think some some people probably didn't like what you had to say, but uh, I, I think you went on. You, you did an interview with my friend uh, Justin Charters for the Independent Journal Review. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Justin. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, Jesus, the people they talk shit about him. Trump, Obama, Ronald Reagan. You cannot find one person people agree about him. You will have disagree and agree. Right. So I know there is a lot of Muslim people, they get pissed off from presenting my opinion. But for me, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I did what I believe, what is in my mind, because at the end of my life, I'm going to be in my grave, not someone else's grave. So I will do what I believe. With all respectful, without hurting anyone feeling, just telling facts. I mean, let's talk about the trouble ban. Why became big issue in Donald Trump time? And it's for three months, right? Yeah. In 2003, 11, Obama banned Iraqi Muslim refugee for six months. Did you hear that before? Yeah. 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 How many protesters? Right. Zero. So why? Do you, yeah, do you think, I mean, this is, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about all of it, regardless, even not just the ban, the, you know, the entire reaction to what's happening. And it's almost like we've just, we, it's, re, we, it's unearthed a lot of ugliness. And, and not, I don't mean ugliness on people, you know, the, the ugly side used to always be the far right. So that was always the ugly side. Everyone was kind of ashamed to admit they knew people there. But what we're so, seeing is, is we're seeing like a, a you know, a, a general populace. And this is in the UK as well, where people are not accepting democracy. Yeah. You know, and, and all these things that the likes of me have gone to war, you know, in the hope that we're, you know, we believe in things that we go to war for. And then you just kind of come back and, and we've got this sort of entitled population now that just want to sort of know i'm not happy do the you know do this and, and and regardless of what what's actually been voted you know voted for in a democratic way you, you you've got this group of people now that just won't accept um how things are going to be and i just think well are we, are where, where a, are we because they are such a loser <laughs> sometimes like sometimes sometimes sometime, i mean i'm not I'm not good with politics, but I'm simple, simple guy. You don't need to be. You don't need to be. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, you with, just, it's with, good. with simple things, simple, simple understand, simple believe. So for me, it's like this time, this country need us to not be selfish. This country right. need us to be Americans, not Republican or Democrat. Yeah. And let's give this president a chance. Let's wait. Did I agree with Trump about everything? No. But did I agree with about travel ban? Yes, 100%. Because I know what, what is going to happen. 
And they know when this shit happens, it's going to be ugly. And when the, when the ugly shit happened in the United States, the protesters, they're going to start complaining and whining. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask through you guys to any one of the protesters if he can, because, you know, sometimes when we talk, we just talk, like, drink couple shots and you will be king of the world, right? So talking is not going to take you anywhere. Let's go to the activity. How about those who protest instead of the protest, let him like hire lawyers and let him be responsible about every immigrant came from other country to this country. So this immigrant, when he came here, if there is any terrorist activity, he will be in charge. Ask him to do that and see how many protesters you will find on the street. You will find zero. Right. It's so stupid. Like they call him racist, Trump. How he races if he's going to protect American Muslim too. Yeah, I think I think what happens with Trump is he's, you know, because he because he's so, he has no filter. That's almost like, an, and I, I like that, you know, I'm not, we don't I've never need been filter. like a huge, yeah, that's we what have, I'm saying. He d- we have he Obama talk. for eight years by name of change, and look at to Iraq, to, look at to Syria, look at to Libya, look at to the free medic, look at to... Of course, a mess, a lot, of, a lot of bullshit rules he made it, look at to the budget, he got the budget from the Navy, I end up with no job, me and my wife. From we start our life, we have finance card, amazing house. We lost everything. You know I, what I'm I mean? not sure that any any no government's ever going to be perfect. There's going to always going to be there's always going to be problems, and that's but that's just be, life, isn't it? But between divide country and mess to clean after him or some mistake, what's what Obama did is disaster. Is not mistake. Like, look at you. Pull the troops from Iraq. What do we, what do we have now? Yeah, and I feel at, I feel the same about at, Afghanistan too. Look at to the immigration, the Syrian immigration. I look at Europe. You know, Europe. Look at, um, look, at look at to the chaos in Europe. Yeah. So what he did. And right now, look at to the people. It looks like we don't have the American people. We have Democrat and Republican. Right. And this is my concern now. Like sometimes when people like, you know, in public area, they talk about Obama, they talk about, about Trump. And last time I talked with Ameri- uh, American, African, African-American, and he says, oh, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I told him, all right. Do you hear about he trouble ban 2011, Obama? He says, oh, yeah. I told him, did you protest? He says, no. I told him, so why we have double a standard for things? We should, this is wrong, should be wrong, right? And same thing, I told him, did you give him any chance? This is no matter what, he is... United States of America president. Give him chance. Right. Right. And I think it's like, you know, there was a time where 
people could kind of agree to disagree and that was fine. But now it's like you're either one way or the other way at the fullest extreme of that viewpoint. And, yeah. and there's no yeah. like middle ground. And it's like, we can't have different views and still go have a beer after work. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's Which is weird, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and this is like my concern right now. If Trump tomorrow make anything not serve this country, I will be the first one against him. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But when he does something right, I should support him. Right, because and if, like, if he succeeds, then everybody, it's better for everybody. Yeah. And guess what? Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that's the point. It's not a case of, you know, you, you could all wish, everyone could wish him to fail. But that's going to be a failure of the American people. That's, you know, why would you wish someone to fail? And, and just to prove a point. Oh, yeah, just so we can yeah. discuss this. And in, in university, or, you know, we can discuss this in 10 years, how much... He failed. The country went to shit. Well, who wants to see that? Right. Yeah, and who and, and who needs to see that? You know, just to prove a yeah. point. And you, you, you in your house, if you close the door and you says no one come to my house, this is your personal right, right? Yeah. Same thing with him. You know, I say that, that for Trump, it's his house, and people so stupid call him racist. Just because he's a Christian, and they they can, I don't know what they can call Muslim country who refuse to welcome any refugees, right? Like Saudi, like UAE, Qatar, name it, Iran, name it, and instead of you travel and you wait three years, if you just walk, it's gonna take you maybe two hours to cross the border. So what what do you call those people? Right. Because you know they are Muslim, you cannot call him racist. So what are you going to call him? Right. So this is my point. Double standard. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hopefully, you know, some things can change and we could kind of back away from this divisiveness because that's really what destroys countries. You know, that that's how you destroy yourself from the inside out versus yep. having you know, outside forces destroy the country kind of thing. So, you know. The wrong wrong policy of Obama. And now we have the result and we have the chaos and hopefully Trump, he can be succeed to clean all the trash. Right. Hey, so kind of moving along, can we... Um, <laughs> we, we could stay in that yeah. area for ages. <laughs> can, um... <laughs> So you've worked with Naval Special Warfare uh, SEAL teams, and obviously they were very active during the Haile Iraq War. Um, can you one? Can you share a story of maybe a, a mission that you went on that you thought you think might be interesting for the audience? And also, did you work with Chris Kyle as well? Yeah, yeah, I worked with Chris Kyle, but I before my respectful to his death i cannot mention any mission right. with the chris kyle right right oh wow yeah so and this is what happened when i uh, published my book they asked me to mention few mission with the chris kyle i told them no i don't want people think i'm using advantage of my brother killed death right to try to promote and, yeah. my to promote my book fuck my book i don't give a shit about the book <laughs> so <laughs> yeah <laughs> So one of, one of the mission is uh, it's it's funny. This is like 
I cannot call it with the team, but it's with the team. I don't know how. So anyway, we start collecting information about one of the jackpot houses. And there is rotation between the team I work and the next team. And, you know, one team replace another team, they need time to start active again. So they start active again, and I start reminding them about the the target, and they says, we will see, we will take care of it, this and that. But I have one of my friends, that neighbor, like, and this is in 2004. It's kind of peaceful time. We said one time at the bar, we talked, me and him in Mosul, and he says, oh, man, there's weird things happening in my uh, neighbor, my street at Al-Mosul. And I know where he lived because we took pictures to the house, everything. So I told him, what's up, what's going on? He says, oh, the, the house, the end of the street, uh, they transfer things from pickup all the night long. So I asked him which house. When he described it to me, it's the same house. we gathering information about him. So, you know, we keep drinking. And, I, you know, when you drink, you like to talk. So I invite him for more drink, more drink. So anyway, and I told him, can you like keep watching that house? That's interesting. He says, yeah, of course. And after one week, he says, man, his son, he went outside the house, play with the kids, and he's so proud his dad built the IDs at the house. So I went to the team and I told him, hey, we should head that target. And this is the information that says, yeah, we will do that. And it's like no one want to do anything because they are super busy with list of the targets, every night like target. So it looks like, you know what, I'm going to go to that house and figure out what's going on. So I have Russian car, piece of shit, ladder. <laughs> and it's... A lot. What did you have a ladder? <laughs> <laughs> it's 1978, and nice. it's, it's, it's get heat on the winter time. So imagine at the summer time. Yeah. So anyway, so at the beginning, I went to the Jackpot Street neighborhood, and I stopped at the beginning of the street, and I disconnect the hose. And I drove the car, and, you know, there's team everywhere from the fucking engine. And I stopped in front of the house, and they nicked the door. Hey, can you give me the water hose so I can cool out, cool out the engine? So the same jackpot, he opened the gate of the house, and he gave it to me. Give the uh, I talked with him, and he gave me the water hose. And you know, I start cool the engine, and I start chit chat with him, this and that. And I told him, uh, "What are you working now?" He says, "I work with Mujahideen, inshallah." Okay, but you did a lot of mistake because I work with another organization called Ansar al-Islam. And he says, no, I did nothing. Uh, hold on, hold on, I'll be back. So he went inside the house and he came back. I don't know. So anyway, I have my pistol. I told him, hey, I have order from Ansar uh, al-Islam to take you with me. We have a few questions. He says, no, I'm not going. And he pulled the pistol. Anyway, I killed him. And I went inside the house, and I told him, hey, I work for Ansar al-Muslimin organization. 
and we killed him because he's a traitor to our organization. So anyway, I went back to the base. I told no one, and I hear from people of Mosul, like there is Ansar al-Islam and the Mujahideen. They have big fight between them, and almost like 20 leaders get killed within like two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and crazy. That, that was all because of that that night, or that just that just happened uh, on its own. No, because because I pretend I work for oh, Ansar Islam organization, <laughs> and I went to his family, <laughs> and I, I I I present myself, and I told him if you guys can do anything, we will kill you, and I threw some uh, propaganda paper. So what they do, you know, they talk with. Uh, Sun organization, and they want to revenge, and they kill a lot of people from Ansar Islam. And when Ansar Islam, they figure out they want to revenge. So almost one leader, they get killed. Nice. Off, uh, off one, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really. <laughs> one operation. Uh, yeah. That's so you were doing a bit of a bit of a John Wick there, weren't you? Just cut uh, around. I don't cut, know. Cut I, your own detail. <laughs> You know, we did whatever it's going to take us to save our countries, you know? Yeah, for sure. From those savages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, uh, do you know, and then that's, uh, and people will listen to that story thinking they they don't um, maybe sometimes understand the gravity of it, of how that was an extremely dangerous position to put yourself in. You know, the, unless you, you know, understand of how how easy it is to get killed in Iraq, that's actually a really... Brave thing to do. Freedom is not a free. No. And the price is a blood. Right. So. Right. Awesome. Always, always, yeah, always. We. Uh, I'm not so proud about myself by saying I killed or not, but they let let me know option. Yeah. Right. And I saw my city now. And I feel I did the right things. And if I go back right now, I will do the same thing, maybe more. And, and um, to all the people, like, fuck it, you have one life. Do the right things, you know. If you're going to fight, fight. If you want to celebrate, celebrate. But do the right things. And don't give your back to your country. Because he's gonna give you his back too. Right. Yeah, it's just, and let's hope there's more um, there's more people like you that are willing to defend what's right. Oh, there's bullion. Trust me, I'm just like you guy. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so what? Um, if anyone's interested in, you know, any of the audience is interested in listening. Uh, I'm sorry, reading your book. Uh, what's the name of it, and, and where can I get it? So I'm 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 not gonna tell you the name if you don't know the name, <laughs> 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 unless you buy you buy me beer next time when when I meet you. <laughs> it's uh, called code name Johnny Walker. Right, and and just could you quickly? That's a that's a cool code name, by the way. It is, yeah. And can you right? tell the story of that? That's quite, yeah. Uh, we call it Ali. That's quite that? cool. Yeah, yeah. It's born and raised about my life and how I enjoy uh, American forces and mission 
my understanding for the Iraqi culture, for religion, for multiple things. It's not like only missions, but it's it's me on paper. So I wish if anyone he want to buy it to enjoy reading it and if you like it that's cool if it's not throw it in the trash i don't care <laughs> can i and can i ask as well johnny do you do you miss um one of my favorite things was musgoof is that, that am i saying it properly oh we have Fish? we have we have musgoof in san diego is that where you you eat that still <laughs> of course that's amazing it's and yeah. i love the way it's cooked so when you came to San Diego, you guys. I'll have be money. in. Save me, save me a seat. Call me, and, and you will, you will have double seed. And then, oh, well, I'm, not, I'm not fat. I don't need <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean double <laughs> what seed. What are you saying? Double seed you and your boyfriend or your husband. That's what I meant. No. But but also, do you have? Do you get? Um, oh, I'm trying to think of. We I used to call it. I'm probably getting it wrong again. Uh, Nomi Basra, which is like the uh, lemon yeah. chai. Lemon chai, yeah. That's my but favorite too. Dry lemon. They yeah. dry it for a few months until the color of the lemon yeah. became like brownish. Yeah, really quite dark. And they boil it, and it's amazing. I love it. It's, that is the best tea, and, and I'm a you know I, I'm I'm British, so I like tea. But that oh. tea is something else. That's cool. Maybe you could get that. You could market that, and you could get that just spread spread around the world. Because I've never tasted tea like that out of out of. Um, uh-huh. Iraq. How about that? Come to San Diego and we will uh, cook mesgu for you and Perfect. lemon tea. And happy. you do I'm the happy. you do the the commercial for that and maybe we open <laughs> restaurant. Yeah, well, yeah, perfect. I like that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's really. I must say, it's a, it's a real honor to talk to you, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you're settled and you're happy. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so really happy, am. and you know. We we are just lucky, and I have maybe one last thing, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, sure. No, sure. For, for all the people who who want to leave his country to live in another country, you should keep it in your mind. You can live in that country. You have to follow that country rule and culture and tradition. If you don't like it, sit your ass in your country, and do whatever because no one no one care. But if you came here, don't bring Sharia law. Don't bring stupid rules with you to this country. If you came to, I mean, United States, because I live in this country. If you come, if you came to America, you should try your best to develop United States to the forward, not to take it 200 years ago. So if you want to do your best, more than welcome. If it's not. Stay in, in whatever country you are in, Somalia or Nigeria or Iraq, whatever. Awesome. So, you know, I, I want to thank you for taking out the time to do this. And, you know, you've done a lot for your own country as well as uh, American soldiers and sailors uh, who are over there fighting. And I just want to thank you for your service as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And God bless America. It was such an honor to have Johnny on the podcast, given his background and his experiences and how far he's made it and where he's made it. Uh, you know, I think it's incredible. And um, 
I always appreciate having that kind of perspective, not just a U.S. military or Western military perspective. Yes, he served with Navy SEALs in Iraq for a number of years, but he is an Iraqi, and um, he's seen the country go from what it used to be to what it is now, and he has very strong opinions on some of the things that are happening there. And, uh, you know, Iraq used to be kind of a melting pot of different uh, ethnic backgrounds and religions, and it's now turned into a very extreme uh, place. And, you know, a lot of things are, are driven by ideology, but also by, you know, the, the concept of power and that kind of thing. So a uh, very interesting perspective. Uh, it was, like I said, it was an honor to have him on. He served with U.S. Special Operations Forces in Iraq for six years. Uh, and 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 one of the things I wanted to bring up is that those rotations, you know, that our warfighters make, you know, whether it's six months, five months, a year, they're rotating and then they come home for a period and then, you know, they get to train up their work up and deploy again. But some of these guys in these countries, the Iraqis, they're, they're there. That's their home. So there isn't any going home for them. You know, the six years that he was serving was six consecutive years of combat. And, um, you know, it's just something that we should appreciate as a country. And um, soon I will have some some guys on here. And we're going to talk specifically about ISOF and the Iraqi Special Operations Forces uh, because those are also a, a group of men who have uh, done an incredible job over there in the fight against ISIS and, and the fight against uh, Al-Qaeda and some of the uh, groups that were operating in Iraq during the height of the Iraq war. And like I said before as well, if you want to contribute to the Global Surgical Medical Support Group, uh, they've been on the podcast before. They're doing incredible stuff. Uh, you know, they recently saved some... U.S. personnel on the ground by providing top-tier surgical support, uh, like very far forward. And that kind of support could only have been gotten places that were hours away or even days away. So they did a great job. And if you want to help them out, you can check out their website um, for more details. And, and we'll have everything in the podcast notes. So be sure to check out the podcast notes. All the links will be there. And uh, the website is GSM sg.org so check him out uh, if you want to keep up with uh, Johnny he also has a book out called Code Name Johnny Walker it's available wherever books are sold uh, my good friend Chantel Taylor has a very good book out it's called Battle Worn The Memoirs of a Combat Medic in Afghanistan available wherever books are sold check that out uh, my website is globalrecon.net my Instagram account is igrecon. The second account is Black Ops Matter. Uh, Chantel Taylor's account is Mission underscore Critical. Once in a while, I post on there as well. I'm on Twitter at IG Recon. I'm on LinkedIn, just search Global Recon. As always, I encourage you guys to subscribe and share these episodes with your friends and family. That way we can continue to bring you high-quality content uh, each week. So we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.